Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Monday, October 18th, 2021. The other day I was shopping at Costco with the family and going down one of the aisles, noticed at the end they had a bunch of kind of emergency kits for your home, mostly focusing on emergency food. If something came up and all that you needed with these kits they were going to give you was water and I think some way to heat it, and there you would have food or X amount of meals. And as I looked at these packs, to be honest, I mean, none of it looked like it was that great. None, none of it looked like it was that appetizing. I mean, I certainly, going through Costco, sometimes you look at things like, oh, that looks good, that looks good. Oh man, th- those look really tasty. I wasn't really feeling that way about these emergency kits. Um, they don't look like the most amazing things you've ever eaten, but obviously in an emergency, if you needed that, that would be kind of the least of your concerns. But when you think about the things that you would have in an emergency, normally you're thinking about, uh, you know, the bare minimum, something that will give you sustenance and calories and keep you alive. Well, today we're going to look at really how God's word is what we have to really consume in an emergency. And God has given us something to have in an emergency that's not, oh, well, it'll keep you alive. He's given us something amazing. Those emergency kits you don't see, oh, cool, filet mignon, lobster tail, you know, all these other rich or decadent things. But God has given us something that will sustain us, but also something that will delight us as we go through urgent or emergency situations in life. And we're going to see that today as we look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15 through 17. And as he is talking about things, remember Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah has a tough ministry. He's telling people that judgment is coming. He's calling people to repentance. And what we're going to see is people do not listen to Jeremiah. And in fact, he gets mistreated. He gets persecuted. It's not an enjoyable ministry ride. But it's in the midst of all of that. And just again, for context, this is right here in chapter 15, verse 18. He says, why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Right? Clearly, uh, there is something tough going on for him. But he says earlier, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. So there we we see that he talks about finding God's words and eating them, consuming them. And as he did, I don't know, sometimes you think of things that, you know, food that you can kind of choke down if you need to. But then there's food that is, oh, just give me more. And, And that's what the Bible was like. It was a delight and a joy to eat God's word, even in a situation that was full of grief, full of sorrow, even full of mistreatment and persecution. And so that's a good reminder for us uh, that really when we come across difficulty, we have God's word to lean on. And it's not, well, you know, I can choke down some of God's word to get me through. No, it is a joy and it is a delight. And even just as you think through the the necessity of preparing yourself 
for persecution, preparing yourself for seasons in life where you might not have a lot of comfortable things in your life because you're seeking to follow Christ. And that is having an adverse effect on your comfort and your circumstances right here and now. But even in the midst of that, you can say, well, I have God's word. And that is the joy and the delight of my heart. And really, when we're those kind of people who trust in the Lord, who lean on his word, the circumstances around us will have less and less of an effect on us. And we see a beautiful depiction of that uh, contrast in chapter 17, where it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But then we see, on the other hand, verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream, that does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So there we're reminded uh, just of that idea of not being afraid even when the heat comes. What about you? Are you going to be afraid when the heat comes? Or are you trusting in the Lord? Are you delighting in his word? Uh, Those are the things that we need. So here on Monday, starting a new week, set your heart on God's word, set your trust in God. And whatever this week brings, may you not cease to bear fruit. And as we think of this dependence on God, obviously that gets us thinking again about Psalm 119. And today we're going to look at verses 33 through 40. Now, this is an interesting uh, section of Psalm 119, because as you look at all eight of these verses, is that they are all filled with imperative verbs. Every single verse. It's the first section in the psalm that is uh, like that. And it talks about the Hebrew letter for this one is hey. And I like to remember this section, you know, just kind of with that idea of, hey, hey, every verse is an imperative. He's crying out to God saying, God, hey, I, I, I need help and give me this and give me that. Uh, and each verse, there is something. You see verse one, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Give me life. And so that's very interesting. And again, when you think about prayer, and even when Jesus teaches us to pray, he gives us imperative things to say to God. We are going to God and asking God to do something. Well, as we think about, well, what kind of imperative should we bring to God? Obviously, the Lord's Prayer gives us a great example. But think about the example that this section has. I mean, these are all prayers to God. Teach me, give me understanding, lead me in the path of your commandments, incline my heart to your testimonies, turn my eyes from worthless things, give me life, confirm your promise, turn me away from reproach, and give me life. You know, are those the kind of things that are filling up our prayers? 
And even think, what, what scares you the most? For many of us, it's, well, what if I needed this? Or what if I got sick with that? Or what if something were to happen here? Or I were to lose my job or whatever? What seems to make the psalmist most afraid? Turn away the reproach that I dread. He dreads reproach. He dreads really the consequences of sin. That's what he is most afraid of in this life. And many of us would do better to be more concerned with that than with so many of the temporal things. And to be asking God more for the kinds of things we see here than asking for God for many of the temporal things we may be tempted to seek in this life. But we need to remember it is not all about this life. There is a bigger picture. And we're really going to be reminded of that in our next two passages today. And we'll start with the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. As we look at John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. And we're reminded of that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that reminds us, really, the alternatives are perish or eternal life. And so that's our choices, life or death. And clearly a life or death that extend beyond this life. And what is the path to eternal life? Believing in this one and only Son of God. Putting our trust in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. And obviously that involves a turning away from ourselves and the things of the world. Because that's what he talks about later. The opposite of this eternal life, the judgment In verse 19, he says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Right? They loved the darkness rather than the light. And that's really what we have to give up to come to Christ. We love the darkness. We enjoy our sin to some level. I mean, we might have some somewhat conflicting thoughts about that, but we want to stay in the darkness. But Christ is calling us out. And it is through faith alone that we are saved. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But even here, we see that belief will involve turning away from the darkness. And that's where if we really have that belief, given it, given time, it will produce works. So as the reformers used to say, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It will produce works. And that's what we see in our last passage for today, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Because if you just read this by itself, you might be scratching your head and saying, well, wait, this at one point even says that Abraham was justified by works. Well, clearly, as you look into it, the point is his works showed his faith. And we're reminded that faith without works is dead. Faith will produce works. And that's where you might say, well, what about the thief on the cross that we read about recently? He didn't produce works. Uh, Well, in some way, I would say he did uh, because he had faith in Christ. And that faith even produced the work of he rebuked the other criminal and he called out to Christ. I mean, those, those were the effects really of his faith. Um, obviously then there wasn't a lifetime of good works or really a change in all the patterns of his life. He didn't have time for that. And that's where, no, we don't have to do all those things to earn our salvation. We are saved by faith alone. But that faith, if it is genuine, will show a difference in your life. 
It talks about Abraham, how he showed his faith when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. And we know from what we see in Romans and other places, he was already saved. His faith saved him, but the work showed his faith and confirmed his faith. And we see, even as we've taught through the Gospel of John at Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, there is clearly a kind of belief that is phony, and there's a kind of belief that is genuine. And how can you tell the difference? Well, the genuine belief will produce a change in your life. Because, as it reminds us here, even the demons believe. There's There's a level on which even the demons believe and shudder, but they clearly do not have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we think about us and really what is life all about, it's about putting our faith in Christ. That is the path to eternal life. And that faith in Christ will change our lives here and now as it will produce works. So there might be some of you that need to be honest and say, there are no works in my life. There has been no change in my life. I live live in the works of the flesh. But you might need to ask yourself, well, then is that real biblical faith? Is that the kind of belief that Jesus is calling for in John 3.16? And for all of us, we do remember we are saved through faith in the one and only Son that was given for us. And we celebrate the love of God that has made salvation possible. And it's not possible because of our works or because we tried so hard. It's possible because there is a God who loved us who sent his son to die for us. And through faith in him, we, instead of perishing like we deserve to, can experience eternal life. That is good news. Maybe that's a little bit of why we're reminded that God's word, it is a joy and a delight to our hearts. So even in those emergency times of life, may we look forward to feasting on God's word, no matter what is going on around us. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival for the, from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.